It's time for Random Randomness on the BookSpeak Network. Random thoughts, random ideas, random poetry, and random discussion from the novel guys. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Kashinsky, Chris Pisano, and Jeff Young. Random Introduction. Welcome back, everybody. This is Random Randomness, the podcast, episode two. And even though we're not being filmed, I held up two fingers <laughs> to make sure everyone knows it's episode two. That was uh, for your own benefit, wasn't it? It was. It was actually. It is th- random. We could have just gone straight to three and not told anybody. Oh, that right. actually would have been funnier. That's chaos. This is not chaotic chaos. The podcast. This is random randomness. It's just random, not chaotic, because we all know I eschew chaos and I love order. So, my name is Brian Kishensky, uh, <laughs> I, and I'm hurting my uh, co-podcasters here with uh, my shenanigans already. Um, if you don't remember, I'm one of a trio of writers. We call ourselves the Novel Guys, and we are also owners of Fortress Publishing Incorporated. We have Jeff Young and Chris Paisano as the other two Novel Guys. However, Chris Paisano could not make it. So we invited my wife, Christine Zahor, back, and she will do impersonations of Chris throughout the podcast. So, sure. Okay. Jeff, you want to say hi to everyone? Hello, everyone. I assume you're not the same everyone as last time. That's a good thing, because it would be randomer. Okay. Moving on to Random Novel Guys News. So, as I said, that we are the novel guys. We, um, as you can probably figure out, like to write novels. And uh, the big news is we just had another novel published recently. It is called Mayhem Menagerie. It is actually book number two of Satan's Petting Zoo. If you happened to tune in last time for Random Randomness, the podcast episode one, we did a little excerpt from that book. So now there is uh, number two to the book where uh, Chad and his friends are now able to explore being lycanthropes, what it means to them, how they can use these new abilities, and how they can use these new abilities without being caught by their parents, who also happen to be burgeoning lycanthrope hunters. So uh, it was a fun book to do. It was a fun book to read. Uh, recently, um, at a convention, we had a fan come up who had read book two. She uh, really enjoyed it. She talked about um, the characters, the development, where the story was going. She was asking questions about what was going to happen next. And, of course, we could not tell her because that would be, obviously, spoiling to what's happening. But we are working on book three. There is a lot of fun to it, and there is a bigger story to be told, and we're going to follow these characters along. So uh, both Christine and Jeff, uh, if you want to add a little to um, what you think of that book. Uh, when you look at the cover, you're going to see the fantastic artwork of Koa Beam. It's an eye catcher, and it's got all the animals and their own interesting little expressions on the front. Yeah, and it is great to uh, see the progression and the growth within the characters. In the first book, they were 
confused and um, had these abilities and didn't know what to do with them. By the second book, now they're figuring out how do I leverage this to improve my life and and to further my agenda. So it's it's always fun to see characters that you enjoy reading about um, doing well and figuring things out. Of course, not everything goes to plan, but at least they're starting to accept and embrace the animal within. Nice. But uh, Jeff actually brought something up. We'll do a little uh, behind the scenes regarding the cover. So the cover is done in a movie poster style where we have the, the four main characters as well as some ancillary characters all around in different positions and poses and uh, different facial expressions. But when Koa, a good friend of ours, he turned in the finished product, the central character, Chad, who is part rabbit, he had a very nice rabbit-looking face. However, we figured since he's right in the center of the image, people are going to look right at him and they're going to uh, expect uh, to get a better understanding of the book by looking at his expression. We didn't want it to be just a nice rabbit face. We wanted to have some uh, a look of concentration to it. Um, so we went back to Koa, asked him if he can do the face again, and he did. So now we have this wonderful shot of Chad looking very, uh, very in the moment, concentrating, his tongue is sticking out, his little rabbit brows are furrowed. So when we saw Koa at a convention, he actually gave us the new Chad face. So all he did was redo just the face, not the ears, not the neck, not the torso, just the face on a big old 11 by 17 cardboard sheet of paper. So now we have this beautiful artwork of a tiny little two inch by two inch rabbit face on a massive 11 by 17. So we're very excited to have that original piece by Koa. And I had actually planned on cropping it and framing it until someone suggested that leaving it with all that white space around it was the actually funnier. So that's what we're going to frame and still put up. This little itty bitty derpy little face right in the middle of this big, huge white space. So That's that's kind of how we operate. We've just got a little derpy face walking around in our big white space, clueless, confused, and lost. <laughs> Moving on. Random beer. Okay, since this is this is radio, not television, you all missed the fact that Brian, as he was attempting to open the can of beer we're going to talk about and pour it, managed to spray it across most of the desk on at least two of the microphones and his own pant leg. True story. Yeah. You'll be baptized whether or not you want it to be or not. Exactly. Excuse us as we wipe up the mess. There we go. Anyway, what we are actually drinking is called Sugar Coated Pony Kisses. Uh, It is a hazy IPA that I ordered for the first time simply because of the name. How do you not want to know what Sugar Coated Pony Kisses taste like? And... It tasted better than I thought it would. In fact, it tasted so good, it's become one of my absolute favorite beers ever. Uh, it comes from... You, you can stop wiping now. Thank you. Um, it comes from um, Stable 12, 
which is a uh, local brewery in Phoenixville area. Uh, they make lots of wonderful beers, including this one, if you are in the Phoenixville area. Um, would highly recommend it. Um, it is a hazy IPA, and uh, everyone is, is giving it a taste. Um, do you want to share a little bit of your thoughts around this little concoction? I agree. It is absolutely delicious. I'm, of course, a little partial to hazies. Uh, they're very tasty. Um, this one is very crisp, very clean, very flavorful. It has a good mouthfeel, wonderful aroma behind it, and it's just very tasty. Always a winner with uh, with a hazy. Um, and from the uh, can itself, uh, IPA made with barley, wheat, oats, and lactose hopped with mosaic, which is always awesome, hazy, yes. and mandarina bavaria hops. Mm -hmm. As they say, come and get a kiss from, obviously, the pony on the front. Yep. And it made me actually wonder what makes something, what makes a beer hazy. So I was actually doing a little bit of research on it. Um, Traditionally, uh, a hazy is cloudy. Um, it is does have a nice creamy mouthfeel to it. And usually it's a little less bitter than your traditional IPA. Um, and part of that has to do with how they actually make it. So traditionally, hops are introduced into IPAs during the boil. For hazies, they actually do it at the very end or even afterwards. Um, and when they do it actually during fermentation, it's considered dry hopping. So if you've ever heard that expression or seen a DH added to a beer, that's the dry hopping process. And that all really contributes to that floral feel and profile of these types of beers. Um, they are also usually hazy because they are non-filtered, as are some other types of beers, but that gives it that cloudy consistency and tells you what you're getting into. Um, and also, um, beyond the dry hopping, there is also a lean towards oats and wheat like you described off the can, instead of the traditional barley. And again, that lends to a fruitier flavor. Uh, a lot of uh, hazies are considered juicy. You juicy haze and you have a lot of those, and that, that's also another characteristic of a hazy IPA, which I, for one, am a huge fan of. And thank you for cracking this open so that we can all enjoy a little bit of sugar-coated pony kisses. Oh, yes, definitely. Whatever's left that you didn't spill all over the <sighs> table and pant leg. And well, that. on that note, we will take a couple minutes to uh, give our advertisers their due. Clean as the table. We, as we enjoy our sugar-coated pony kisses. Sunbury Press Books offers work by independent authors. Our imprint, Catamount Press, explores literature and creative nonfiction of the Northern Appalachia. The writings of P.J. Piccarello, including the Northern Appalachia Review Series, an annual publication for under-recognized literature. Also check out Dennis LeBaire's Appalachian Gross Dog, a boomer's memoir. Find these and more at sunburypress.com. And we are back with random number. 5,280. So, in a completely off-topic, uh, what do we think about the metric system? Because, obviously, 5,080 is uh, how many feet are in a mile. Uh, we know some people uh, like the uh, imperial... Okay, so Jeff, Jeff is giving Jeff me a confused. face because I actually typed up an agenda 
for our podcast, and I wrote down the wrong random number under the heading random number. There's an extra five. So it's 5,285-0. See, Jeff fixed it. Jeff fixed it. Fixed it. It's a a good thing you don't have an accounting degree or anything. I know. That would be awesome. That would be really embarrassing. Where where the comma was going there with all those numbers. It's a metric system, Jeff. Didn't you know? Yep. (sighs) There's four digits after. (laughs) I can't even. Wow. (laughs) So guess what there, smarty pants? What do you think of the metric system? Um, I haven't had too much experience with it. I will say I like it when I do runs because 5K is so much more impressive than 3.12 miles. Um, I will, I will say that. <laughs> I, I like, I love the concept of it because obviously as a math guy, because I'm really good with the number of things, I love the idea of just taking things and multiplying or dividing by 10 to come up with the next increment. Um, I think the big problem I have is the conceptualization. I cannot really quickly conceive of a centimeter or even really a meter or how much a gram or a kilogram is. I have to pull out my phone, do a conversion chart, to get to where I want to get to. I've memorized for some reason, probably because I think it was a first gate project, that 2.54 centimeters is one inch. Hmm. So I can so I can conceptualize an inch. I can obviously conceptualize 2.54 centimeters, but it takes a little bit of translation. But what, it's us in Liberia? That are just the ones who are like exactly the holdouts. I, yeah, I think that's I mean, just okay. So, how many kids do you know who have been taught cursive? Today's day and age, none. Yeah, oh, but none. so this is the same thing. This is we're just a little slow on the uptake. That's right. all. Welcome to the U.S. Well, I'm just actually thinking now that you said that that once we get to the Star Trek era, we were referring to actually before we started this. We're going to have to convert because there's way more people on the metric system than us. Uh So in order to be able to realize our future of a federation of, oh, Jeff's got an idea. When you're writing your books, are you writing in metric or in English? Oh, I'm definitely using the imperial system because I know know yards. I know feet. I know pounds. But when you're writing your science fiction books, are you writing them in... I, yeah, I still, I still <laughs> just curious. Yeah, but that I think that's the whole brainwashing of at least my youth because that's the future. Yeah, well, I understand that. Well, but Jeff. I'm stuck in the in the weird ass present that we're trying to so. <laughs> Jeff, do you write in the metric system when you occasionally write? Occasionally, I do, and occasionally I don't. Okay, is that something that you would get from? If you're doing even like a short story for an anthology, I know you do a lot that are like military science fiction or futuristic. And, and yeah, military sci-fi get? is definitely going to be in metric. Okay. Uh, unless you know, if I write in steampunk, it's obviously in imperial. Uh, okay. So, but yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, and, you know, and that's the expectation of the people that are reading it. And I don't yeah. know. I mean, you know, the thing about it is, is that it can be either. So, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. I would like to use it. And then we do have a couple things where we do use it, like our money system. That's metric. It's all 
everything's divisible by 10, you go up by 10, down by 10, things like that. And those $2 bills. And two, even the $2 bills. $2 bills. <laughs> oh, God, I got beer on my phone. <laughs> we can just cut that out and edit, right? <laughs> Shall we move on to the next segment? Yes, please. Which is Random Fortress News. As we have mentioned earlier, we are owners of Fortress Publishing, Inc. Uh, we started off publishing graphic novels and then moved into chapbooks, which moved into magazines, which moved into anthologies. And we finally, recently, have taken the next big step into moving into novels. Why I'm displaying the novel in front of everyone, I do not know. But I am holding up, showing the world. Our newest novel, it is called The Truth in Their Blood. It is book one of the Progeny of Devils series. Uh, we had mentioned, uh, gave a little teaser in Random Randomness, the podcast episode one, about a, a series of books that we've been working on. We are currently working on three different series, but they are all tied together. And they kind of center around this series here where we have the children, adult children, of boogeymen, murderers, and monsters coming together because they are being hunted. They don't know by whom. They don't know why because they do not understand who their parents are, their real parents, their birth parents, I should say. So it begs the question, if I'm the child of a monster, does that make me a monster? So the idea for this kind of came around, came about, um, as so many of our ideas do, sitting around drinking beer, yapping, talking about dumb things, when it came up about the new movie monsters that we have today, especially in comparison to the old movie monsters. So back in the day, you had um, vampires, the werewolves, zombies, mummies, things like that, to the point, so many and so often to the point where a few of those creatures, you may have a hard time pinpointing the origins of where they came about. Uh, sure, we all believe that Dracula uh, started the vampire craze, but he technically wasn't the first vampire in, in literature. So we are now seeing this trend with the current movie monsters. We have the mask-wearing slasher. We have the possessed doll, for uh, lack of a better term. We have the nightmare monster. We have demons. We have uh, giant insects. Usually, in uh, one thing that we've also noticed in other genres like science fiction or fantasy, when they need to add a horror element, they usually turn to the giant spider. We've seen that in The Lord of the Rings, we've seen that in Harry Potter, we've seen it in Crawl. So we've seen it um, uh, being used a lot. Uh, we also have another trend of the, the psychosurgeon. So, you know, the, uh, the, the crazed, maniacal surgeon doing all kinds of gory stuff or against the, their innocent victims' wills. So, as we were talking about this, we extrapolated and decided that we could take the next step with this and look at their children. Uh, sure, a few movies are out there, specifically uh, 
uh, Chucky had a kid. Yeah, the seed of Chucky. The seed of Chucky. Um, I'm sure there's a couple others out there, but we we really wanted to uh, examine the children, how they're raised, whole uh, nature versus nurture. How are they going to react when they find out someone that they know and like is a child of a monster as well? Definitely an interesting concept um, is the thing that makes the monster the monster hereditary. Is it environmental? Is it something that happens because of their upbringing or um, a traumatic event that happens and can that be passed along without that shared trauma? So being able to really look at these characters and say you came about from a horrific event or an individual, but what does that make you? Are you inherently tainted by that origin? Or can, if you are removed from it, can you become your own being? Um, and you created some characters that I, I know I, I absolutely fell in love with and a couple I want to be when I grow up, but, you know, that's squad goals. Um, but it really does kind of examine, you know, why, why is somebody coming after me? I didn't do anything. And, you know, the question of, well, did you or didn't you? Will you or won't you? Wow. Uh-huh. And it's, a, of course, a voyage of discovery for all of them. Um, and, of course, they are quite a variety pack. Um, and <laughs> yeah. that just makes it more interesting because you've put the whole team together and that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cooperate or focus on the same goal. Yep. So it's a bit like herding children of horror cats. <laughs> 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 I've succeeded in stunning the rest of the audience. Stop and stare at Jeff. <laughs> Try to figure out what message he was Where he's going for with this. Back. But anyway, uh, this is uh, the book number one is called The Truth in Their Blood. It is by Victor Bloodstone, <clears throat> who is one of the pen names the novel guys use. And it is available wherever you like to look for your books. Moving on to Random Animal. The Wombat. The Wombat. It's just fun to say. It, well, it is a fun to say. It is a, it's a fun little critter. Um, we also know that Wombats is a lot of points in Scrabble when you play it on another word on a triple word score. Because someone uh, in this podcast told me once that she rarely played Scrabble and ended up whooping me to the point where I was crying in the corner because she played. And I have wombats to thank for. Yes. Which, by the way, is all seven tiles, which gets her the extra bonus. Yep. But that has nothing to do with why wombats are the random animal. Not at all. No, not at all. No. Anyway, so I decided to do a little research about wombats, and they are very interesting critters. They, uh, are in Australia, because if you're going to have a weird critter, you're going to find it in Australia. They do seem to have quite a few of those. They do. Uh, they're actually a little bit bigger than I was expecting. They are, can range anywhere between 40 and 80 pounds. That's a nice, sturdy little critter there. It's Again, I'm using my hands to show everyone <laughs> roughly how big these things are. Uh, they are also fast. They can get up to 25 miles an hour there. 
I saw you also included the metric weight for them yeah. too for our friends in the road across the ocean. Yes, yes. They, they can range between 20 and 35 kilograms uh, for those who wish to use the metric system. They are uh, burrowers. They like to dig, they like to go underground, they can create some pretty extensive tunnels. Which brings up an interesting evolutionary trait that they have. They are marsupials, but they're the only ones that we know of where their pouch is backwards. Ah. Because if their pouch is normal, like a, like a kangaroo, and they're on their all fours and they're digging, mm. they're just tossing dirt in their, their satchel with the baby, the baby satchel. They're filling up the baby satchel with the dirt, which is something that they, they probably don't want to do if they want to continue uh, making their species. Uh, there's also something else that, uh, so we're going to move on and we're going to start talking about their butt because, uh, some people may or may not know that their poop is actually cube shaped. I saw that in your notes. I can't, couldn't wait until we got to this part. Yes. They, they have cube shaped, they have cube poop. Cube poop. Yes. And they, uh, they arrange it to mark their territories not only that, but they also arrange it to attract mates. Wow. Yes. So imagine if you if that's how you and I had had met and during our courting process, was, I was drawn by your decoratively arranged poop cubes. She broke Brian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's his yeah. own fault. Yeah. He brought that up. I, I didn't really extrapolate that form of imagery but if if you needed to go there then you know good on you dear brian please tell us about their butts <laughs> well their butt also has an amazing amount of cartilage to the point where it's all but armor the, the furry armor and that is part of their defense mechanism big old predator comes along wombat jumps head first into a little wombat hole Got armor butts sticking out, and predator teeth are getting are getting uh, broken. Armor butt. Armor butt. Now, okay. back in prehistoric days, wombats. Now picture this. This this I this I I, I do like to picture. Imagine rhino-sized wombats roaming the earth. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When wombats ruled the earth. Right? Yeah. With their giant armored butts. Yes. And, and decorative cute poop. Exactly. Yeah. One final We're, thing about the wombat. We're never doing this again, are we? No. A group is called a wisdom mob or colony. Wisdom of wombats. Yes. How, we, have, we have to throw we had to throw that in. Yes, we did. Just yes, to make just, it even remotely <clears throat> intelligible and or Education. Try to talk ourselves out of this hole we've dug, dug ourselves into. Yeah, we dug our, ourselves a mighty soup With our little armor butt sticking yes. out. Yes. So, so, kids, when yeah. you go to school, make sure you share the wisdom part. Yes. Of, Not the armor butt. Not of, the armor butt. Of the armor butt decorative cube pooping wombat that once was the size of a rhinoceros. So, we will now pause again to uh, allow our advertisers a moment in the sun. Sunbury Press Books brings you the work of independent authors and serves readers young and old alike. Speckled Egg Press is our juvenile non-fiction imprint. 
Check out works from authors like Joanne Risso, author of Over the Sea and In the Field, Dan Shudders the Mouse with a Broken Tail, or The Amazing Adventures of Solomon Screech Owl, brought to us by Beth Lencion. Click on the Books tab at sunburypress.com and find an author and a story you'd like to know. And we're back with Random Haiku. Here we are again. Funny? Smart? Clever? Who knows? Schrodinger's podcast. Willowy Twilight. A great awkward moose scurries watching the squirrel. Wow. Can Can you top scurrying moose? I might, but I need a preface. So... Well, my husband may think that I actually did not prepare a haiku. I actually did inadvertently because of the t-shirt I'm wearing. So it, it, it's, not enough, it's not enough syllables, but it made me start thinking. So the t-shirt, again, radio, not television, I'm wearing says, keep it up and you will be a strange smell in the attic. And as I put it on, I thought, how many syllables is there? So I'm actually sitting there looking at my own chest, counting the syllables. It comes to 14, so it wasn't enough. But it reminded me of another t-shirt that I had almost purchased at the same time. That is exactly 17. And I will read it now. And it says, I will put you in the trunk and help people look for you. Keep it up. (laughs) Perfect. And that is Christine's haiku. This is also why Brian is sometimes scared. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> love you too. And now, random cool news. So recently, uh, divers from the History Channel were working on a new series, uh, The Bermuda Triangle into Cursed Waters. And what they discovered was something that was completely unexpected. It was actually a piece of the Challenger shuttle. This is about 15 by 15 uh, feet or so, and I will leave Brian figure that out in metric for you. Um, it represents, uh, that's all the area that was only not covered by sand coat, so it could obviously be larger. Uh, images show the divers looking at the tile covered surface, which sort of give it a, gave it away what it was. Um, other pieces of the Challenger have been found, like two wing portions that washed ashore 10 years after the tragedy. All told, about 47% of the vehicle has been recovered since the accident. These recovered sections of the Challenger are currently in an abandoned missile silos at Cape Canaveral. Uh, the first fatal flight in, uh, pardon me, first fatal accident in flight of an American spacecraft. The Challenger explosion occurred at about 46,000 feet and 73 seconds into the mission. Ultimately, the failure of the O-ring seals and the booster on the right booster were to blame for the disaster. The crew of seven, including the first school teacher to go into space, were all killed. And while it's unfortunate, it's actually bringing the total of recovered amount of, of that up from 47%, hopefully up to at least, you know, maybe even half of it. Um, and uh, they actually recovered quite a bit of the, uh, the other shuttle, the Columbia, um, was it was scattered over Texas. And the FBI is still receiving phone calls today from people who are finding things or convinced that they are finding things. And it should come to no surprise that there will be a documentary on the finding of the Challenger fragment to release sometime this year. Because, well, the History Channel was there filming already. And that's Random Cool News. 
So, for anyone who cares, it is roughly 21 square meters. And it's interesting that you brought up the Bermuda Triangle because I'm now curious, since we're all roughly uh, the same age, was I the only one as a child, like age range five to seven, who was terrified of the Bermuda Triangle? Maybe. I was fascinated by it. Yeah, I, I, I was wanted more to go and see it, and I didn't know how it was getting there because I was afraid to fly over it. Because I figured I was just going to go, boing, you know, straight down, and that would be the end of me. Um, but I, I thought it was fascinating and wanted to go explore. Oh, I always thought it was a real and clear and present danger in my everyday life. <laughs> you were just going to be walking along and, and suddenly triggered a triangle. In a triangle. <laughs> and it's kind of the same way with quicksand. Drug the whole way across the United States down I, to I the just, Bermuda Triangle. It was just such a plot point. Because it's all downhill and, from here. In all kinds of horror. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm bumps. <laughs> in all kinds of horror and sci-fi and fantasy. Especially the sci-fi right. stuff. It was always, People were always getting sucked up in the Bermuda yeah, Triangle. I never knew how close you needed to be to the Bermuda Triangle. It also, when I was ages five to seven, I had no freaking clue where Bermuda was. Yeah. I just knew it was close to the water. And, you know, if I walked, you know, half a mile from my house, there was a pond. It was water. Right. It, it could be Bermuda triangle That and quicksand. I thought quicksand was around every corner. Yep. Yeah, yeah TV, I really did think it was us. much more prevalent Thank you. than TV it actually us. really was. Quicksand was the worst thing that could possibly happen to us. And you always needed a friend with a large stick or a, a horse and a rope. And a rope. You always needed a rope. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. the stick never worked. The yep. stick was always, you ended up pulling that person in with you and then you needed a third Until person. Until we saw blazing and saddles and realized that it really wasn't a big problem after all. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Random book excerpt. So, uh, like last time, we'll do a, a little reading from one of our books. This book is called The Devil's Grasp, which, again, I am displaying for everyone. It is book one of the Vengeful Prince Saga. This is a high fantasy trilogy, so swords, dragons, wizards, all kinds of uh, fun and exciting stuff. So... Okay, there we are. This is exactly where I was looking for. All right, I shall uh, read from the prologue. Wyron watched. From the precipice of Mount Mythos, Wyron, the mad wizard, peered into the lush valley below and watched. The sunlight glared down upon a swarming sea of armored men, bristling with purpose like beetles discontent within their carapaces. Plumed helmets, wetted swords, and polished armor glittered. Unit commanders barked out orders, their stentorian commands a clarion rising up among the rock outcroppings. And Wyron watched. The army below was searching for him. Word of his nefarious deeds had reached the ear of the king, and his majesty responded by sending this army. Pondering this fact, a smile of self-satisfaction nestled into Wyron's craggy face, and he ran his fingers through the few scraggly hairs that hung off his chin, an effigy of a beard. No army could oppose him now. No creature of flesh or bone, no matter how numerous, could stop him. His smile widened as he began the madness. Wyron prepared for battle by stirring the contents of a cask half his size with the staff he worked so hard to construct. The wooden staff itself was all too modest, 
half as thick as his leg, but just as long. Five wooden fingers clenched as a fist formed the crest. The staff warranted little construction time, needing only a sharpened dagger and patience. What cost wiring decades were the five stones the clenched fist protected. Many years of traveling and researching, learning the spells to enrich the stones with the necessary power, sacrificing what little sanity he had. Looking into the cauldron, Wyron admired the blood, impressed with the amount he drained from the dragon, slain by a ragged band of mercenaries that he had hired. A minor consternation passed through him, thinking about the rumors of this band of sellswords having a conscience, and wondered what they would think if they knew the true purpose of the prize they gave to Wyron. The army came. Wyron laughed. As he watched archers take up positions, he stirred faster. When his thin arms became tired, he lifted the staff out of the cask and used the dripping blood to draw circles upon the ground, small at first. The first round of arrows rained down around him as the archers tested the distance between them and the wily wizard. The projectiles fell short, but not by much, and Wyron knew the next volley posed a viable threat. But as the ground melted and bubbled within the circles, Wyron no longer needed to worry. Again, Wyron laughed. Within the crimson perimeters, the ground fell away as it devoured by an abyss. Crawling from the small pit scrabbled fist-sized insects, demonic in look and purpose. Swarming straight from the holes down the side of the mountain, the creatures made their way to the archers. A wave of mandibles and pincers shredded flesh and bone. Wyron laughed. Giddy with power, Wyron used the blood-dripping staff to make more circles, larger and larger, on the ground, on the rare tree, on the rock wall of the mountain. More minions poured forth, larger monsters from larger circles. Shaggy moths droned from the drawn maw of hell, a cloud forming over a small section of regiment. As the soldiers attacked, the moths burst into a nebulous miasma, devil dust clogging the men's eyes and throats. As the commanders tried to regain order amongst their trained troops, Wyron drew larger circles upon whatever surface seemed solid enough. Within seconds, <clears throat> Wyron had new troops at his disposal, winged creatures the size of men, but with leathery skin covered in pustules and rigid horns. He commanded them to seek out the order-barking sergeants and carry them off. Bat-like wings beat a steady rhythm as they carried the officers high into the air, then dropped them like stones upon their own troops. Soon the valley floor was strewn with the broken bodies of dead men. Dismembered corpses outnumbered those who had succumbed to the bludgeoning death. Wyron considered the twisted grimaces of the fallen and surmised that asphyxiation was likely a blessed way to die for those few who had found death in that manner. Wyron smiled. With plenty of blood left in the cauldron, Wyron traced a circle as tall as his arms could reach and just as wide. Ice petrified his veins as he watched the newest addition to his horrid army stride forth. Arising from the great circle, a monstrous beast emerged, bovine and leg, though bipedal in its enormous stance, an abysmal lord looming impossibly large and eclipsing the wizard who shrank into a huddling mass of flesh. Furry legs stretched into a thickly muscled human torso, and gave way to a mangled face forged from sadistic rage, topped with two ram-like horns, one shorn from battle-waged millennia ago. 
its maw split in speech into a voice so deep that pebbles and stones dislodged themselves and rolled down the mountainside. The monster was Ardzur, lord of endless toil and general for the armies of hell. He announced his presence, then the blasphemies strode towards the army in the vale below, followed by a legion of equally misshapen demons. As Wyron scuttled away from the hideous from the hideousness he wrought, he bumped the cauldron, causing a splash of blood to spill over the side. At first he cursed his clumsiness, but then he watched as a thick stream of crimson flowed down the side of the mountain from the plateau on which he stood. At this, Wyron smiled. <clears throat> Thus beginning, nightmares for the land <clears throat> and the people around it. And the people listening. And, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as we said, the book is The Devil's Grasp. It is published by Sunbury Press. And again, it could be found, I'm sorry, it is published by an imprint of Sunbury Press called Hellbender Books. And it could be found wherever you like to find, purchase, and read your books. So, I believe... Uh, if everyone's done spilling beer and talking about wombat butts, uh, this—that's just uh, you. Oh, it was just me. Yep, yep. just you. Just yep. me. Just yep. you. Damn it. Well, anyway, the three of us would like to say uh, goodbye, good night, and thank you to our producer Tori and to Lawrence, uh, the owner of Sunbury Press, who allows us to do this. And as Jeff likes to say, thanks for letting us be random with you you've been listening to random randomness brought to you by the novel guys tune in again next time for more random thoughts and rambling discussions check out satan's petting zoo on the verboten books tab at sunburypress.com thank you for listening this is the book speak network